This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, in studio with Ryan Abraham and Chris Trevino after USC headed up to Corvallis and narrowly escaped with a 17-14 victory. It's Sunday, so we've got the recap show for you. Guys, I know you guys went to Corvallis. I stayed back here in Los Angeles, but big 17-14 road win like gold, Lincoln Riley says, for the Trojans. Yeah, you got to hold down the fort, Jack, you know, in L.A. We're going on. We, we made the trip up there. It was a little crazy. Apparently, some technical difficulties on the way when we left the studio. I don't know if the the Beaver Gremlins were getting into the studio, but we're we're working now. I don't have my monitor here in front of me, but we'll be okay. Uh, it was a fun trip up there. I haven't been to Portland for a little while. Chris, I think it was your first time in the state of Oregon. Definitely was. Definitely was. Stayed in Portland. We saw a decent number of uh, of USC fans that made the trek, likely for the very last time USC will play in Corvallis. I can't imagine. That's going to happen in the future. I can't see them picture, you know, uh, scheduling a home at home with Oregon State down the road when you're the Big Ten. But who knows? Maybe something like that will happen. Uh, but it was a special night. I think it was, you know, Oregon State. If you don't know, Research Stadium is getting a renovation. The you know entire one side of the stadium is under construction. We were over on that side, at least I was, for the temporary press boxes down low. It was a really weird kind of way to watch the game. You were in a metal box? I was in a metal box that was reverberating with the, the loud you know speakers that were playing in, uh, in the stadium. But the other side of the, the stadium was full, uh, 26,000 or so, mostly dressed in orange, and uh, they were fired up. They were ready for this one. A lot of you know profanity being uh, hurled down at the USC Trojans when they came on the field or whatever they were doing. It was uh, a little hostile down there. You can talk about that more because you were on the field more. But it was definitely uh, an interesting... Uh, environment and I, you know, I was there in 2008 when uh, USC was number one, and uh, Mark Sanchez and and that team lost, and the entire stadium. I was on the field at the end of the game. The entire stadium comes, you know, pouring down. You were just surrounded by a sea of humanity. This is pre-COVID, so there no there was no mass, there was nothing. Uh, but it was crazy on the field. It were was you nuts. in it? I was in the middle or of it. You, or you were right in the middle. Like, I was right, like we were surrounded. Like it basically, was like. Uh, like a blob overcame us. Like we, there's nothing we could do. We were trying to get to, uh, I remember trying to get to the interview room and ESPN, I think ESPN was doing the game and they weren't letting anyone else in. And we're like, we have to get out of here. We're in the media. Uh, that was a nutty night. And I think it would have been that nutty. Absolutely. Had Oregon state won. They were ready, you know, Not they were as packed on the field because there was half the stadium wasn't right wasn't there, but, but it would have been yeah. packed. And the, 
if you ever go into like a baseball game and like there's that you know kind of high pop fly that's like just over the shortstop's head everyone's cheering like because they think it's a home run they're not really sure and it's like really just a, a can of corn pop fly there was some of that and we couldn't see at least where i was you know if i was on one basically at one end zone if there's a run on the other end it could be two yards it could be eight yards it's hard to tell but they were cheering and then you look at like oh it's second and eight and like what i don't know what they were cheering for just basically like positive <laughs> they yards. were cheering like a 40 yard run i just happened just yeah it was kind of weird but they were ready and and if you didn't hear a loud cheer you knew it was something bad because they were cheering even like small victories so they were or the oregon state fans and i know a lot of them loved them um man they they wanted they were jonesing for this win badly then then lost a seven game winning streak at home and uh this was a tough one i think for the beeves and a, and a huge win for usc like lincoln riley said afterwards this was this was a big deal it's not an easy place to win uh to be able to win in a different way i think is a big deal and to go through to persevere through uh some real adversity uh, i think it showed a lot of metal for this uh for this trojan team Initially, I was thinking about it when I was thinking back on the on the win. I th it was like USC kind of stole the win. You know, the it, Oregon Oregon State was right there to kind of take it and you know be able to rush the field. But when I think about it again, it's like I don't know if they necessarily stole it because that defense played exceptionally well enough for them to do enough in the end. And Oregon State made a lot of mistakes. You know, that drive down in the red zone where they had to settle, uh, push themselves out, uh, really a field goal range and four turnovers on the night you know it's really hard to win when you're giving up the ball four times even if you are at home and, and and costing your team opportunities to put up points so while you know it does obviously look like usc you know pulled it out in the end kind of stole it in the fourth quarter i absolutely believe they after thinking about it that they earned this win thanks to the performance of that defense and just enough from caleb williams in that offense but the defense obviously the main talking point i think the thing that we should be focusing on we will talk about the offense but the defense huge step forward another four takeaways just their best performance of the season and i'm really excited to see what they do next like how do they build off this big road win they have a dumpster fire next weekend for arizona state so it'll yep. be interesting to see what what kind of intensity and effort they come out with i'm sure there'll be a lot of strain a lot of effort but i'm just excited to see this uh, this excuse me this defense grow from week to week because I feel like every week we've seen them do something new or look a little bit better. Still have some some problems, but obviously the best, most complete effort we've seen from the, this unit so far. For sure. And if uh, just so everyone know, like make sure you check out uscfootball.com. Chris, myself, and Shotgun Spratling, we're all there in person in Corvallis. A lot of content has gone up on the site since then. Instant analysis with, uh, no offense, Jack, but instant analysis with Shotgun and I, I think it was a pretty good one. We did about 19 minutes or so. In the stadium, you know, after midnight, uh, that was a lot of fun. So check that out. And then Chris Chalkin and I did a uh, what do we call it? Roadcast. Roadcast. Roadcast in the car as I'm driving from Corvallis back to Portland. Um, yeah, we did a we did a full like hour podcast in the car while I'm driving. So well, all delirious. Yes, we were sleep. all tired as hell. We did eat a little. We had some voodoo donuts left over from the morning, so we had that in the car. Uh, but it was great. The food situation was weird. There wasn't like food in the press box. They give you a voucher that you had to walk to the other side of the stadium where all the fans are to get the food. Like it was not ideal. You guys didn't even use yours. It was not, definitely not ideal. I but said it wasn't going to be worth it. No, we were up late creating content for you guys. So make sure you check all that stuff out. Good news is uh, this upcoming week, it's not a late game. 
Oh, wait. It's another 7.30 p.m. game, which means getting back at, like, 2 a.m. So it's just what the Pac-12 is uh, continuing to do to USC, it feels like, every week. But uh, you guys mentioned it. Let's start with the defense because... Let's do it. Everyone, including everyone here on the on the show, we've had our reservations about the defense. A lot of fans have have chided the defense for their play through the first three weeks. This was a big statement game for Alex Grinch, for all the defensive coaches and players. 14 points allowed to what, again, we touted as a good Oregon State team. Four interceptions off Chance Nolan, and they won the game. Like It was, it was very clear that the, the defense won USC this football game. thousand percent. And, uh, you know, Herm Edwards get fired at Arizona State, and Alex Alex Grinch's name comes up on the hot boards around there, and like, oh, his defense hasn't been that good. And like, well, and then he just had this epic performance where it really won the game for USC. So I don't know if he's going to be going to Arizona State to be the head coach there, but I think this is a, a good feather in his cap because most of the the criticism has been towards his side of the ball. Um, now you know, fourteen turnovers through four games. Pretty ridiculous. Um, the fact that USC hasn't turned the ball over. The only team in the country, right, that hasn't turned only the ball over. The only team in FBS that has not turned the ball over. I believe there was five going into this weekend. And they all had a turnover. And they all had a turnover. That's going to change, you know. But we keep saying, like, well, one week they're not going to get four turnovers. With, you know, three of the four weeks they've got four turnovers. The other one they got two. Um, so, I mean, you're not, you can't rely on that all the time. But I think you're doing enough. You're showing the effort. You're getting your hands in passing lanes. You're disrupting the offense enough that balls are going to get tipped in the air and you're going to have opportunity to make, you know, interceptions. Four different players getting interceptions in this one. You know, Eric Gentry gets his first interception. He also tips a ball to allow Max Williams to make that interception. I was on the field for that one at the end of the game and was just filming with my camera. I tweeted that out if you guys want to see it. And the, his little celebration was right in front of me with his teammates. That was a good one. But you're right, Jack. This was uh, an epic def defensive performance. And there were times especially late in that fourth quarter. And Alex Grinch, you know, bemoaned the fact that they gave up that late touchdown, even though Oregon State took over the ball at the USC 22. Two, two times in a row when USC gets the ball back for the offense, they go three and out. And that, that's just not what you need, especially the one you're deep in your own territory. So you, I think that it's not only that the defense played well, but they weren't put in great situations a lot of the time. It's one of those things where you have to kind of make your own, you know, make your own luck, I guess you could say. And I think they... It wasn't about luck, but it was more about making the best of a situation where it wasn't always, you know, there was that one time where USC was backed up at their own one and flipped the field and the punt goes down to the, the Oregon State three. So that's a, you're benefiting your defense there. But more often than not, it wasn't the case there, especially late in the game when you thought like, okay, this is when the offense is going to start clicking. Those two straight three and outs where you put the defense back on the field. Um, and they, you know, I thought they stepped up really well. You know, they did give up that, that other touchdown, but... In retrospect, it's like, okay, you give up that quick touchdown and get the ball back for your offense and give them some time to, you know, to do, you know, a four-minute drill and do what you want. But it was a really, really good performance by the defense. You could see the effort. You could see the pressure. There were no sacks, but a lot of pressure on Chance Nolan. Uh, certainly, the, I don't think the coverage was always there. Like, sometimes he was getting rid of the ball and sort of lofted it up because the pressure was in his face. And a guy was open enough, and, you know, they, the defense still didn't get to where the ball was being lofted to. There were some busts, but Lincoln Riley and Brett mentioned that he didn't think there was nearly as many busts as uh, some of the other games. I think you know Alex Grinch agreed with that. So it, overall, yeah, I think this was a win for the defense for sure. Um, are they going to get you know better and better every week? Yeah, you hope so. Sometimes there's going to be games where a lot of points are scored. This was a low-scoring game, and you didn't the defense didn't necessarily have to keep up with that, but they did, and that's what kept USC in the game and allowed them to win it. 
I think just to add, I think what's interesting is that this wasn't where we looked at the game after and we're like, who were those guys on defense? Like, we haven't seen that team before. No, this was exactly what we've seen from this defense, (laughs) just a better version of it. You know, they were bendo-break, but they were a lot more... Less, they were less bend. Yeah. You know, they did give up some big plays. You know, there were some some plays where they missed the tackle a little bit, but for the most part, the effort was there. The strain was there. The the pass rushers there, as you said, didn't get to the sacks, and of course, the takeaways were there. And they still had that little edge, that juice on the sideline. When I was watching, it was just a better version of what we've seen through the first three weeks, and that's a really encouraging sign for Alex Grinch and a lot of USC fans. Where coming into the season, it was like. This defense is what's going to separate USC from being, you know, a good team to a great team, potentially a championship team, a Pac-12 championship team, and maybe even further. Maybe at some point we'll start getting into that a little bit more, but, you know, I don't like talking about uh, the the big uh, CFP at the end or or anything like that. I don't. We're way too early, but very encouraging sign to see a defensive performance like this on the road in a hostile environment against a what was considered a pretty good offense, pretty good offensive line, and a, and a good quarterback in uh, Nolan. Yeah, and I real sh- quick shout-out before we jump to the next topic, Jack. Uh, Makai Blackman's interception was special. That was a, you know, there was no tip the ball there. This was a, he was a receiver on that play. Yeah, he looked like the, the primary <laughs> receiver on it. That was a great one. Yeah, that was right after a PI call on Sierra Wright, who had an interception earlier in the game, too. And, you know, they know they went deep on that one. They went deep once, got the PI, went deep again, and, and Blackman burned them. I, I tweeted out right before that drive, can the, U- the, US, the USC defense has given so much tonight. Can they do it again? And then a few plays later, Blackman comes up, tweeted out, yes, they can. And then, <laughs> but then they had to do it. Then they did it again yeah. with uh, another tip, Max, and, uh, Max Williams pick. So just, just an incredible effort and an incredible amount of fight from those uh, defensive guys. I hope they got the best seats on the plane. I hope they, they got, yeah, yeah. I hope they got you know there's, if there's only a certain amount of cookies left on the flight back. I hope all the defense got them. It's like you're playing uh, if you ever play backgammon and stuff, and you're like you're losing pretty badly. And it's like I need double sixes a couple of times. Like oh, double sixes again. Oh, I got double sixes again. It's like all of a sudden you're like, how did you win? Like the only way you were going to win is if you got like some big double rolls at the end, and USC did that. I mean, and the worst part is too after that interception, like with the way that USC offense was playing, it was almost like it was it was worse for them because they had the ball like right on their own goal line and they not being able to move the ball. It's almost like that was even worse for the offense. But it's, it, I just think it, the defense felt it felt like the defense was so confident in that game that Oregon State was never going to put up enough points to beat USC as long as the offense eventually picked it up. Uh, I, I mean, you can't say enough about what the defense. Did. Maybe we can focus in on some individual performances. We've mentioned a couple of them with Makai Blackman, who had a fantastic game. Eric Gentry, who's had his best game as a Trojan. Tui Tui Pelotu continuing to wreak havoc in the backfield. I don't know where you guys want to start, but there were some big key individual performances for the Trojans. Yeah, Tuli. I don't know. He, he had at least one tackle for loss. Did yeah. he get? I don't know if he got a second one, but there was. He had pressure for sure. It didn't feel like anyone really stood out as like the guy. There was a bunch of smaller performance where they just made up an entire defensive effort. Yes. That, yeah. that one of 11, I think Grinch said it, they're, they're playing more 11-man football. You see other guys doing their job. I don't calculate off the top of my head. I don't know. Maybe they were 6 of 11 tonight. Maybe they were 7 of 11 on a Saturday night. But you definitely got a more complete defense, and that's why we're talking about them in that kind of performance. It wasn't just one of 11. It was multiple guys doing their job, and that obviously showed on the field. Yeah, I think like Shane Lee might have led the team – and tackles. tackles, yeah. So I mean, there's some, big, you know, but I don't remember. 
a lot of what he was doing. I don't remember a lot of like Kalen Bullock plays, but I feel like guys were doing what they needed to do. Did you like a Solomon Bird? Was he, you know, he didn't get three sacks or anything, but he was, you know, wreaking havoc there too. He was, you know, getting some pressures on there. And it felt like, like you're saying, everyone was making their little contributions. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like Eric Gentry had two interceptions. You know, he had an interception and he tipped another one that led to another one. You know, Max Williams gets that big one at the end. It was sort of just like grab baggy in a good way where everybody's just doing a little something, you know? It wasn't like we're a talent Noah Hufunga. Shout out, he's on the TV right now. Yeah. Had to go beast mode and carry the entire defense <laughs> yeah. all night to, to make it work. Hurdling, hurdling guys. But uh, it, I feel like there should be another stat, like interception assists or like forced interceptions. Because like Solomon Bird had, I, I think, at least one. Tui Tui below two in the face of Chance Nolan forcing picks. Like Eric Gentry should have a pick and a pick uh, a, a assist. Like, yeah. There were definitely plays that aren't going to show up on the stat sheet, but it almost felt like Tui Tui Pelogi was always in the backfield. I and mean, we even, even mentioned the fact that Oregon State didn't run the ball as well as we really thought they were going to. Fenwick was relatively limited. They had a couple uh, big runs, including the, the Griffin run to put them on the board and put them up when they scored uh, to get us to 14. But, I mean, I, I thought that USC defense also held their own in the run game a lot more than we thought. It's something I haven't seen talked about as much because they had four interceptions, but they were very they were much more stout against the run than the previous three games and much more than we expected them to be against Oregon State. Yeah, I, don't, I think there's like a stuff rate or something, like some kind of stat. I would say the, the percentage of times that they shut down a running play that would go, you know, two yards or less or for a tackle like, was much higher. Now, they there were still some busts. There were some... Uh, misdirection plays. They had the you know reverse. They didn't handle real well, and they would run. You know they would be chunk plays. They would get you know they would get a chunk play here or there. Sometimes a couple on a drive, but a lot of times they were put in third and long situations because they were doing a good job on first down stopping the run. So I think their their percentage of run plays that they were stopping. I need to go like look at all that. I think it was high, just it felt higher. Like they were doing that more often, even though they did give up some. You're going to give up some plays, like it's college football. You Remember, know? I'm watching through the lens, so it's hard to like see the full picture sometimes when I'm down there. Jack, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, you got your first taste of that for the Fresno State game, but I remember thinking like USC, I think is playing really, really well in the run defense. It just seemed like they were stopping a lot of runs. There wasn't you know as many gash plays that we've seen against you know Fresno State, Stanford, or Rice. They were really locking it down up front. You know there were some. But not a lot. But you know, even though based on the student cheering, you would think a three-yard run was a, right. a sixty-yard yeah. run. But for the most part, they were they did excellent in the run defense, which was you know something that we talked about a lot. Like, how are they going to handle these bigger boy teams? You know, Utah, Oregon State, Stanford, and Oregon State isn't as potent running the ball as they were last year. Uh, I know a lot of fans are still haunted by. The Beavers running up and down on on them in the Coliseum last year, and we have to remember this team, this program, dog walked USC last season, <laughs> like absolutely beat them down. Yeah, and then to come in here uh, at Research Stadium on Saturday night and pull it out, even though it was a nail biter, even though it was ugly to win a game like that. I mean, that just shows kind of the one eighty that you know Lincoln Riley and the staff has had. With this program, obviously a lot of new faces, but right. still. But you put it in perspective, like last year, what did you? I mean, Oregon State ran for over 300 yeah. yards, and this is less than half, you know, on the road. So the that's road, yeah. that's pretty impressive.
And, I, and one other thing before we move on to the offense, I thought it was really interesting to see how many people they wrote it, rotated in on defense. And I don't know whether this is because, you know, it was a hostile environment. They wanted fresh eyes or whether it was a, a, just another road game. They wanted more people. But I mean, seeing Damani Jackson and seeing Earl Barquette, Bryson Shaw, like a lot of guys getting their first playing time. And some guys, I think specifically with Damani Jackson, that really stuck out there uh, and had some impact plays. I thought it was interesting to see them using a lot more rotation. It could be due to the fact that the defense was more confident and they were gelling as a group playing together that they wanted you know guys to be able to rotate in and out but I thought that was something really interesting watching on TV yeah we'll have to check out shotgun Shot, well shotgun yeah. pointed this out to me on the sideline I don't know if you mentioned it instant um but when they would do those major packages where Damani would come in it seemed like they would sub in like five guys six it was guys like a hockey time. line or something yeah yeah Bryson Shaw was part of that I think Earl Barquette was as well but when they would do that shotgun said they were do it was a special defensive package that they had for when Oregon was going three tight end set. Okay. So it was just a, it was just a look. Oregon State. Yes. Oregon State was giving them this look. So they were like, all right, we worked on this. This is the, what we want to see out there. These are the guys we want to see out there. So that's why we saw a lot of those hockey line changes, at least early on. I don't remember. If, I feel like I saw it more as the game went on. But that was definitely early in the first half I saw that. So that was, that was something. Shout out to Shotgun because that's like. That's typical his, that's shotgun. His thing. That's his thing. Yeah. And, you know, I thought they were effective just at the, on the front. You would see them. And Oregon State did this too. There would be a shift where you line up one way, and I mean, it seems more than once I would see the the defensive line maybe shift from the right side more to the left, and the run went to the left, and it was shut down. You know, it was sort of like ah, like, there was like a chess match going on out there too. You know, and I feel like you know both defensive coordinators were making some some big moves. At Oregon State, you know, they they hired from within. Was it uh, Tyler Bray? I believe it is. You know, and uh, so much more aggressive. Uh, those players. Love it. Their secondary is really experienced. I mean, they were out there playing hard, and they gave this – we'll talk about the offense in a second. They gave USC offense fits. And so when you have a defense playing that well, you know, Alex Grinch and his group had to do – had to match them, you know, tit for tat. And I thought they did a really good job of that. And that shift – those shifts that USC's defensive line was doing, they were even getting some false starts out of uh, a safe line. Four in the first half. Yeah, when you can get those, they they, they shut it down (laughs) – they, the, I don't know the offensive line coach of those teams ripped <laughs> those guys in the second half, but definitely it, it's nice when you're on the road and you can get some false starts on the, uh, right. the opposing offensive line. And it, it just felt like that was something that, I don't know if it was something they specifically did in this game because they knew it would be a louder environment and they wanted to, to catch Oregon State off guard, but it's like they knew it was a big game. They put something in place to just try and get an advantage, almost like Stanford coming out running the slow mesh when USC wouldn't expect it. It just feels like an added wrinkle from this coaching staff that – I mean, it, you could have kept some points off in in a three-point game. That really matters. But uh, moving on to the offense, it was only a 17-14 win. The USC came in averaging almost 50 points a game, if not more. 17 points, the offense definitely took a step back. It's it's the clunkiest that the offense has looked since Lincoln Riley came in. Um, one of the, it, it, We weren't expecting it, but it was not a good offensive performance. Where do you guys think that that broke down? Why do you think the offense looks so clunky? Yeah, you know, for me, looking at it, one of the things you would, if when you're complimenting the offense, especially for the first two games, it was there weren't any false starts. When they were running in and running a play, everyone seemed to know they were on the same page. It was like, this was the play. We practiced this play. Everyone's running it. There wasn't, hey, you move, you go over here, you go over there. There wasn't any, there, we've seen USC do that for years and years and not know what's going on. We saw a lot of that in this game where they're, they're running in a receiver late. They're trying to change the play and it, it just, it just didn't work. And I felt like everything was rushed, that Caleb Williams wasn't 
things weren't slow. Things were going fast. Like your your internal clock is going. You're speeding things up. You're 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 not taking your time. And I felt like before you could take your time. I mean, especially that first game against Rice. And yes, Rice isn't very good, but there was there was a calmness. There was a the presence was just very calming, you know. And if there was an opening, you could take off and run. And it looked so effortless. This, you know, he took off and run a bunch, but it was more like out of desperation kind of thing. It's not know? a calm environment. There was not calm, and the environment has something to do with it. Lincoln Riley talked about that, but it's, you know, a lot of it was on them. He, you know, he took some of the blame for the coaching. You know, Caleb Williams, it wasn't his best game. Sometimes you're just going to have games like that. But something I brought up in the uh, the roadcast that it, you know, it was interesting, just in my mind, when you know, when USC started off and they had, you know, the offensive line was set, but they had Cortland Ford and Bobby Haskins switching series uh, at left tackle and the offensive line seemed like they're playing well and uh you know Cortland Ford goes down late in the Stanford game I believe mm-hmm. and then um he doesn't play against Fresno State and the the offense worked but it was you know they were facing more third downs and fourth downs it was they still scored the first three touchdowns um you know out of the gate but it just wasn't it it looked like kind of a clunkier performance that they still put up 45 points in. Well, this was, you know, against Oregon State. We thought that Cortland Ford would be available. He dressed, he traveled, did not play in the game, and it looked even clunkier. And then they weren't converting on those third downs, and he wasn't completing those throws, and they didn't score. The first time they didn't score the opening touchdown all season, and, you know, that's, that, they didn't even score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. So, to me, so I, and Shotgun's going to look at, like, the points per drive, like when Cortland Ford is in or not. I, my my gut is telling me that there was some kind of I don't know that Caleb Williams felt more at ease when Cortland Ford was there, and even if it was switching back and forth, uh, that it might be better in the series when you know Bobby Haskins was in. So for some reason, I don't know exactly what it is. That's just my working theory, not sourced at all. That with Cortland Ford gone, it's sort of disrupted the flow, at least with Caleb Williams in the offense. So we'll 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 try to dig into the numbers a little bit, but that's sort of one of my theories, Jack. Sometimes you have an off night. You know, sometimes it's college football. These are kids. I think sometimes you, you go into an environment that's really, really hostile. And I'm not saying that got to his head, but definitely something was off as you as you watch the film, as you as you see passes that are a little bit behind, the mechanics are a little bit off, the off platform throws are just not there. You look look around you. Look at the scenario. Look at the. It was a pressure game. You know, a lot of people. USC top ten. This 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 uh, student section was eager to get on that field. Things don't click. It's like quicksand. Things don't happen right the first drive. Just try to do more. Doesn't work the second drive. You sit. You keep sinking. Keep going deeper and deeper. And I think that's kind of what was going on. You know, the mechanics were off a little bit with Caleb. That puts everything in a little bit of a dysfunction around him with his weapons not being on the same page. It's loud, trying to get up to a line. There's four seconds left on the clock. Got to burn the timeout. It's just these things that kind of build up and build up and build up. And I think we also have to remember that Caleb Williams is still a really young quarterback. He's yeah. only a true sophomore. and He's he played like one full season now, I think. Started yeah. like one full season. Or, or if that is, I don't even know if he's out of full season. Yeah, it's like, like eight, nine or four. something. That yeah. was his 11th start. Okay, okay so yeah. he's one it's short close. of playing a full season with two different locations, and yeah. so that's a lot. And you're going to see him grow and get better, especially handling, you know, kind of those road environments, those that atmosphere. And I we're joking with uh, Ryan, you know, go from Stanford Stadium to to Research yeah. Stadium. That's uh, that's a very that's different. Very different. Uh, <laughs> 
that's a very different thing. But that's what Utah is going to be like. So in that regard, this is a very good warm-up for what you're going to see in Utah times, you know, 10 with a full stadium and, a, and a, I'm assuming a night game, maybe even a college game day, whatever. That environment's going to be rocking. So this is a good primer. Wasn't perfect, but I think what's important overall is can Caleb and his offense flush this performance, move forward. You got a get right game against Arizona State. <laughs> and but they pulled that out in the end. Sure. You know, they made the plays in the end. Caleb Williams made that NFL throw in the end to Jordan Addison to seal this deal and, you know, walk out of there with uh, undefeated, walk out there with with another conference win. And while we do want to talk about the offense and their struggles, we do have to talk about their wins being a little man named Travis Dye. Yeah, we'll talk about him real quick, too. When I think about college players, if they're performing well or not, I try to think about, hey, they're college students. Like, we have Jax here as a college student. Like, someday, like, your girlfriend break up with you or they ran out of chicken nuggets at the, the dining hall or whatever it is. Like, just something, you know, you, you did bad on an the exam. boss makes you come in on a Sunday night. Yeah, make you come in on a Sunday night and you're, and you're late. And, you know, that's why we're rushing at the end. But any of those things, I know it's not your fault. It's, that happens, right? Like this, this is like inside baseball stuff. Going on. But that, that kind of stuff happens. And you could be, you know, you did just fail an exam or whatever it is. And your head's not really in it. You know, Wait, for a fan, you're like, I've rubbed myself up for all week. And I, the players do too. But they still have lives and stuff going on. And there's a lot. I mean, I know, Jack, it's probably rough for you in certain days, right? Yeah, well, I mean, people people think that like I look so young on this podcast. Like I've seen comments like they they were like, what, what grade is he even? Like Caleb and I, Caleb Williams and I are in the exact same class at USC. Like <laughs> he's, he's just as young as I am. So, and, and he's not a professional quarterback. Clearly it's his 11th career start. And I mean, yes, he did not have a, his best day. He, first of all, made it count when, it, when he needed to, but also he avoided 60 plus yards and potential sacks that like, they're not going to show up on the stat sheet, but that is such a like those are positive plays even if there were negative plays so i think he had a fine day obviously they didn't put up 50 points but there's a lot of credit that needs to go out to oregon state's defense yes usc has some things to fix but i i think on that side of the ball it was just a, a really good college football game where both teams came to play and both defenses really showed up in a hostile environment and you mentioned travis die he's like one of my guys you know i feel like oh, okay you're, i feel you're he's one of my now? guys okay uh okay yeah, big fan. Great mustache. He does have a great mustache. He's a great. He's, he's like you know, he, he's a very mature kid. Uh, listen to he's him. Not a kid, Ryan. He's a grown ass man. He's, he's grown ass. Yeah, man. he's he's <laughs> a man. He, he's a third game in a row over a hundred yards. Um, and one of my favorite moments at the press conference when I asked him about that, and Eric Gentry gives him like a standing ovation or whatever. You know, um, he's well liked by his teammates. And one of the things that one of the criticism we talked about this on our. Um, the roadcast too, where oh, there's all these free agents. It's a bunch of mercenaries coming in. Like it doesn't feel like that at all. Like these feel like guys that have been around each other for a long time. They've bonded. Maybe it's just because there's a, a commonality. Sometimes you know, you know, Jack, you're going to graduate and and go to Europe, and you might run into somebody that goes to like 
Yale or whatever, but you might just hang out with that person who's like, oh, we're, we're both American college students that just graduated and we're going to go to Prague together. Like there's like a common theme, like there's a bond there, you know, like there's, you're in the, you're put in the same environment. It's like, what's well, weird. I've never been to Europe before. What's going on? Like, oh, you're a college student. You're over from America doing the same thing. Like everybody on this team, Lincoln Riley said that like, you're either on a new team or running a new system. It's new for everybody. And I feel like that was part of the bonding experience. These road games are great times to bond. They did it at Stanford. You're on the road, you're traveling, you're taking the same bus, you're eating together, you're at the hotel. And another one here, and that's what I would say to people that are saying this is a bunch of mercenaries. Like That's not the, the vibe we're getting. We're getting the vibe that they've been together a while. And a guy like Travis Dye just balls out, gets hurt, comes back in the game. You know, that fourth down touchdown was absolutely huge. Going over 100 yards again when they needed it, they probably needed to give him the rock nine, ten more times anyway. Um, it, it mattered, you know, what he was able to do. And so the, the fact that these guys were able to persevere through that, it's a big win. I mean, they lose that game. You might be looking at an eight and four season. You win that game, 10 and two is a lot more likely in my opinion, you know, and, and knowing that you can get through a game like Fresno state where the offense isn't scoring quick, but you can do methodical drives and a game where you need to rely on the defense in a hostile environment. Like those are all learning experiences. So uh, I don't want to get off the topic with Travis Dye. Stud. And uh, they needed every one of his yards. I don't have super, a ton to add, but just a memorable performance that I think USC fans are going to remember for a long time, even if he's obviously just here for one season as a grown-ass man. But just that that drive before his, his critical touchdown, just coming off the field, shoulders hanging. Like, it's hanging. <laughs> he came off a broken man, and I've seen him come off – the field a couple times this season where he is just clearly in pain. He is banged up and he's just favoring it like Did this. Did Benny Wiley do the Mr. Miyagi and go like and then just like, I wasn't down there, but I'm sure, I'm sure someone did something to get get him right. But just the the toughness, not the biggest dude, not the fastest dude, but man, if he's not going to churn and fight for every yard that he can get, old school, no gloves, just can grip the life out of you. And he did have, you know, almost a fumble. He did fumble it, but didn't turn it over down there at the uh, USC zone uh, end zone. But in the end, he stepped up, and that's why he was one of the best rushers in the Pac-12 last season. This crowd hated seeing him. Uh, obviously, he has some uh, history with Oregon State when he was there at Oregon for, for those years, so he was getting it a little bit. In he might have been the most hated USC Trojan, right? Like maybe Absolutely. Jordan Addison, but because like, a former duck, now a Trojan. Yeah, like it couldn't be worse, you know. Could for... not be worse, and he was getting it a lot in pregame with a lot of lot of uh, vitriol being thrown at him, a lot of uh, trash talking being thrown at him, but also a lot of these guys were wearing like their Beats headphones, so I feel like they couldn't even hear it. <laughs> <laughs> which which I found funny. Yeah, unless I mean, you're Brandon Peely and you want to hear it. And some you guys want to hear. Some guys definitely it. want it. They want to bathe in it. Yeah, before. And it was game. Jack. It was weird. Like after the game, you know, we're down on the field, and uh, you know, those guys were down on the field. I come down in the last couple of minutes. It was actually really easy to get to the field from the that press box. Nice. So, yeah, it was very close. Uh, I go down to the end zone where Oregon State's driving, so I get a pretty good view of the interception and stuff. And uh, you know, the the team goes over. The band was way up in the corner. Like, you know, three levels up or whatever. So they were, it was really hard. You could hear them from the stadium, but usually the team would come over and, and you know, get around the band. But the band was so far up. But the team came over there, the, the song girls and, and all the dance were like those, all those people, the cheer people came over, um, over there and they were kind of gathering 
outside the tunnel and there were some, you know, things, be, there were water bottles thrown apparently and things going on. And, um, you know, some of the USC players went out to the middle of the field and like swam on the Oregon State logo, a little, little swimming action. I think that was, you know, the Oregon State fans, a lot of the students that were on that side of the field already were upset. And one jumped on, you know, jumped down on the field. Great open field tackle by one of the, the security people. And then like, I don't think he was a security. I think he was just like a staffer. A sta- he was really? Like a stadium staffer. He was an Oregon State guy. He tur- he 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 tackled his own beaver. Yeah, beaver blood. He was like he had an Oregon State polo on. And he had the like cool crisp shoes on. I think he was just like a guy working at the stadium. He wasn't a security. Guy, I don't think. But then cops from different Flooded like him. sheriffs and stuff were there. Like you know all like they have all kinds of whatever gear on and just I showed Jack a picture of just like they're piled on this dude and. Uh, handcuffs and he was like i mean he was upset um but yeah there was you know, there was some fire uh going on there and you could you know you could feel like i don't know it's not you don't want to feel unsafe but you're just like are we gonna get off this field anytime soon because something weird could happen you know and if you're a usc trojan football player like you probably felt like that way throughout the game like what is going on down here my question is what was he like what if he got up the tunnel he's gonna fight the entire team who was he know. who was he running at there was just like a group. There of was a players. group of players uh, trash talking them. You can read it in my game day ghost notes. Check it out. More detail. Yeah. On that. But there was a group of guys that they he was. Uh, they were uh, trash talking to each other. There was back and forth. There. I mean, some of the the expletives being thrown down at USC fans and some USC play. I mean, at USC at USC players. Some USC players returned the favor. You know, maybe hand gestures towards the crowd. Things like that. Um, there, well, you know, Shadi already tweeted out but in the warmups. Uh, Jordan Asin flipped off the student section, which just drove them crazy. It was like, which you know, you it was can, like chumming the water. Yeah, right? I, I mean, you could like, oh, they shouldn't have done that, or with the swimming on the the beaver oh, thing. Yeah, they didn't but like, like you know, I, I'm sure there was people in, in social media that were like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. Have more class or whatever. But it's college football. They're kids. You know, if you're. Uh, I can say shit talking on this. Sure, you know, go ahead. Shit talking them all game. You better be able to handle when what, you what lo- happens when you when you take the loss. So yeah, you better be able, like you better be able to take the middle finger before the game, and then when he scores a touchdown on you to to beat your your team. You, Quiet like, crowd. That's just you, you. You have to be ready to take it back if you're going to dish it out. But right, yeah. maybe that's that's end the talking with that offense and then get to the questions with the Jordan Addison touchdown and the Neyland nudge, the big fourth and six play where Caleb Williams uh, rushed it, stopped a yard short in the offensive line, powers and forwards. The offense didn't have a good day, but those two plays, they absolutely needed it and their big players came through. You can hear it on the roadcast, but Ryan said the Neil and Nunge was bigger than the Bush Bush. I did not say that, but it was... Go you listen know. for yourself. If you I mean guess. bigger as in like Brett Nealon is bigger than Reggie no, Bush, like I would agree. You know, he means like more importance, more program changing. Maybe not. But that was fourth and <laughs> ball game. And Caleb Williams is running towards the line and was clearly short and stopped. And to be honest, like the ref probably could have said, it. yeah, could have aye, blown aye. the play, like and said that that was uh, forward progress was stopped. Get a little help from Brett Nealon and I think a couple of the other offensive linemen jumped in there and, you know, push him through, which is legal to do now. Um, that was a, I mean, as a big of a play as there was in the game when you needed a play, you know, and it, and it just showed like they needed that drive badly and you still were facing a fourth and six, you know, like this was, it just wasn't working. Like sometimes you felt like the first couple games, like if you were, uh, you know, whatever you're rolling, like 
you know, like you're rolling dice, like that, you know, most of the time, whatever you roll, there's going to be a successful play. You felt like you needed like a great roll every time every to have time. some kind of successful play. It was like, oh no, that's a bad one. Oh, that's a bad one. That's, it was like, you know, it was hard to get two good plays in a row and this was one they needed and they were able to pull that one out. So that, that was a huge deal to me. Defense was hitting their rolls. They were rolling like, yeah, <laughs> they had the, they were rolling the sixes all the time. They were, that's they the guy were, in the Dungeons and Dragons game was just like, bam. Oh hit, yeah. Hit, hit, hit. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh USC's offense is just taking slashes, can't get anything off until it's the like, very end. It's like when you're playing Yahtzee and the person that plays against you is just getting Yahtzee every single time. I mean, four interceptions. It some of those were bad decisions by Chance Nolan, but a lot of them were just great plays by the USC defense. Uh, I went back and looked at the final Max Williams one, and they had everyone on a vertical route pretty much, and then a running back swing pass out of the backfield. And I was like, I because I, I was curious. I didn't really think about it after the interception, but like, why was he making that specific throw? Third and 10, 41 seconds left. They still had timeouts. That was a bad decision by Chance Nolan, but like Alex Grinch says, like the tips and the overthrows, you got to have them, and USC did. And Eric Gentry made a great play on the ball, but there were some bad decisions by Chance Nolan, but the defense really, really showed up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday, after the Equalizer, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Some of the timing of the whole game felt weird. Like, because, I mean, the third quarter went by, I couldn't believe the third quarter was over when it was. I mean, it was still seven to three, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I was like, what happened? Like, where did the third quarter go? The timing just felt, you felt like you needed to score more points than you were. I mean, it was always a one score game, right? It never wasn't. But you felt like sometimes USC was trying to, come back from a 14-point deficit or something. And what is, you know, Chance Nolan didn't need to, like, score and, and, and get an onside kick and score again. Like, so some of the timing just felt weird because of how low scoring the game was, I think. I've heard uh, Gerard Martinez rants that are that were longer than that third quarter. <laughs> single rants. Yeah, single rants. It went by so quickly. Somehow we were still out of there really, really late. But the game, the game itself... I had gone by fast. When you're not scoring, um, it just yeah, like it, it goes by a Usually lot faster. Usually we're done. We're like up there, getting ready to leave, like around twelve. But this time we were like we were already like in working mode by like ten thirty, which is like unheard of for like that late of a game. Yeah, and it's weird considering how many three and outs there were on offense. Like those are supposed to make the game go longer, and it just felt like first quarter, third quarter blazed by. Yeah, I thought it, it was, was crazy. It was very quick, but yeah, the I mean that Jordan Addison. Um, play was great it, and I think it's a testament to um, you know when you talk to these guys it's like when they were trying to persevere through things Jordan Addison won the Blitnikoff last year he's got five touchdowns through three games he's a stud six touchdowns well six now, touchdowns. He has, oh, now four, he's six yeah. through the first three he had one call back uh, against Fresno State 
and was not even targeted for most of the game. Wasn't a factor at all. Wasn't playing in every series. And we don't know why, so I don't know why that was. But then to keep his head in the game and not check out and be available at the very end when you need a play, boom, touchdown. And uh, that's that shows something. Like sometimes a player that's not used to getting the ball all the time is not getting the ball. They're not running the routes very crisp. They're not doing – He it seems like he still was because he was able to make that play. It was a great throw, great catch, and uh, USC needed that one bad. Maybe that's the last thing we focus on on offense is, is the play calling. I don't know if it was uh, as obvious to you guys on the side, but it, like I, I just couldn't understand why SC couldn't make that one change that then figured out the Oregon State defense. Like Credit to the OSU defense. They played physical. Their DBs are, are very experienced. They match up well with USC receivers. They were able to get home on some blitzes. They didn't bring Caleb Williams down, but they were always around him. But I, I was just kind of shocked that there was no just switch that you flipped. It's like, oh, here's what we're doing wrong. Here's how we fix it. And of course, Caleb and, and Jordan come through on the last drive. But I, I was just kind of sitting there being in the fourth quarter thing, like, how has USC not fixed this yet? Yeah, I was waiting for the fix. The fix You're waiting for the tweak. Happened. You're waiting for the, oh, they figured it out. They never figured it out. And we didn't get to talk to Caleb about it. He didn't talk after the game. And we'll get him this week to maybe talk about it more. And we'll get Lincoln on Tuesday to maybe talk about more in depth about that play calling. And, again, I'm on the sidelines, so play calling and, like, what it looks like is not even <laughs> – on my mind at all, but you're right. We were, I think we were all waiting for for the that tweak, that that thing that just like oh, that's three straight drives with a touchdown. Now. Oh, that's yeah, three yeah. straight drives with a score. Now they're rolling. It just never came. So credit to Oregon State's uh, defensive coordinator and their defense for you know staying on it. And you know it was a good chess match back and forth. But USC got the king in the end. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we can go to this first question. It's who is your offensive MVP through four games? I think we got this question last time. We were all unanimously saying it's got to be Caleb, but I might be leaning. Like if you're saying MVP, you might be have to go. Might have to go Travis Dye through the four games. Caleb, I think, is the best player. He's had some of the best performances, but Travis Dye's been so consistent. He's been there when you need him. Uh, it's very close. I might have to go like kind of a one A one B situation, but I might lean Travis Dye after that big performance. Yeah, I don't like including the quarterback because it's like you have He's a, a Heisman-caliber quarterback. Mm -hmm. So I, I would agree that w if I'm taking Caleb out of the equation for this, I would lean towards Travis Dye with Jordan Addison kind of being behind him. Yeah. Those would be my top two. Same same thought, yeah. All right, so Ryan, we can direct this one to you because I think you had the best view. From what you could see, was, were the wideouts blanked by their coverage or was Caleb just not seeing open receivers? I think it was a little bit of both. I, I I think Oregon State likes to drop. They were dropping some guys deep, but they were also bringing pressure. And it never seemed that USC was able to figure out like, hey, this is one where you can throw it underneath and we can you know get a play. And when they it seemed like when they were trying to throw underneath, it was like long, kind of like you know guys coming all the way across the field, and then Caleb Williams was like on the run and he throws the ball like behind him at his feet. It just didn't seem to like take advantage. You know, a defense can't stop everything, and USC wasn't calling the stuff that was taking advantage of what Oregon State was giving them was doing. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's sort of a combination of things. Yeah, uh, maybe Chris, you can start on this one. Do you think that Oregon State would have scored on the last drive if Max Williams didn't get the interception? I that is a hypothetical, and I can't go back and change it. So that that was a third and ten, correct? Third and ten. Third and ten. Yeah. Third and ten. Forty-one seconds, two timeouts. 
I don't know. I I went into that drive thinking they were going to come away with the field goal and we were going to see overtime. I didn't see. I didn't think so. And it was funny talking to Alex Grinch afterwards. He, I mean, his the way his mind works is funny. And he was talking about it's like okay in this situation. And so there's he's talking about the desperation of the offense when. Uh, okay, if they were down by four, the desperation goes higher because now you have to score a touchdown, only three. So he says sometimes that allows the offense to settle down a little bit, knowing they can just get. So the way he was breaking it down was really, check out our video up on the YouTube page, the way he was talking about what was going on there. Um, but to me, this wasn't. It wasn't. An, I know Oregon State was throwing the ball well, but usually it's kind of with the threat of the run, and you're trying to stop that. Like when you know you're going to have to throw and move the ball down the field, and the USC pass rush can get after him. I felt pretty confident that USC was going to get the stop there. It wasn't a short field. This was going to be a long field. They had already stopped a couple plays, and it was third and ten. You know, I felt pretty confident at that point. There's a 41 seconds left. I didn't think they were going to get uh, into field goal range, but the interception made that a moot point. I was waiting for that clutch sack from someone whether yeah that would have been a big one or yeah. truly or you know i i was waiting for it I, th I feel like they still had that card to play they hadn't played it yet so i was, I was waiting for that that's what i thought we were gonna see all right we've got another question this one's from hector on youtube why do you think that they tried to remain balanced and not lean on a more successful run game by travis die that's a question for lincoln riley yeah you know i think sometimes they would shut the run down they blitzed a bunch and they would kind of like fill those gaps uh, I think they needed to. I think they needed to run the ball more, but there was also it sort of was like you know playing chess. It seems just, like Travis was the only really effective runner. Yeah, like Austin, Austin Jones wasn't as effective. There were some weird really round plays where it just didn't yeah. didn't work. And remember, Travis Dye was taking a beating in that game as well as he ran. He he was getting he was getting banged up. So I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to run him straight into the ground and, and lose him all because it did yeah. he was he seemed like to be the only one who could really run the ball well that that game yeah yeah no I, I definitely watching on tv and just seeing all the play segments together like it, it felt like they should be running the ball more especially when you look and at a, at a certain point like die was averaging nine to ten yards on first down carries and then like they'd run for a first down and then immediately pass twice and it's third and long. It's like you can't run there. Yeah. If you were having success with the run, why'd you go away from it? Or you run for a couple first downs in a row, they stop it once, and then it's kind of like the run was abandoned for the rest of the drive, which like Lincoln Riley knows much more about offense than any of us three do, probably combined. But I, mean, I definitely, probably combined. definitely <laughs> combined. I don't know. Maybe I'm just giving you a little bit more credit for your offensive prowess. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah. But it definitely felt like they abandoned the run at times, and it was a little detrimental to the offense. But also, I think like when you have a quarterback like Caleb Williams and you have an offense that can be so explosive – you want to be able to fix it, not just for this game, but for confidence in the future that like you just feel like one pass, everything can click and, and roll from there. But yeah. it definitely felt like they could have been running the ball a little bit more. Um, there's another one, and Chris, I'm interested to hear what you think from the field, but how loud were the speaker system that Oregon State put on, on the side of the field that didn't have any fans? And do you think it was normal for a game, like normal loudness or, or a little too much? They were bumping. They were definitely bumping. But, but not like during the game. Like they weren't like... Right, they weren't like blaring music while the play right. was about to go on. Can't but do that. Was there extra crowd noise that they were pumping in prior to the snap from that side of the stadium? I don't think. I don't... It just the speakers were really loud though, but it would be between plays. Okay. Because it was the box I was in. The metal box was just. It was like you're inside a speaker, and like my, you know, your chair was shaking. Like poor Bill Plaschke is like, what is he like, sixty five years old? He's like in this press box. It's like 
what is going on here? You know, one of the photox was handing out earplugs for anybody. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. All right, we've got another question uh, on YouTube from Daniel. He says, where was Relique? He'd been waiting to see him in packages like the screen pass or swing passes. My guess is in such a hostile environment, in such a close game, they wanted to go with the more veteran guys at the running yeah. back position. I mean, you already have a young Caleb Williams, but in a spot like this where Relique Brown really hasn't gotten run since the since the Rice game, this probably wasn't the right situation to dedicate plays for him. I don't think he's 100% still yet. I don't think so either. He tweeted out today a little... Uh, Sand clock, what is it called? Hourglass. Hourglass, there you go. Thank you, Jack. That's why he's here as a producer to make me sound smarter. He tweeted out the hourglass like the time's coming. So, again, Arizona State, get right game. This is a game you could you could give him a little bit more. Uh, uh, work him into uh, Clay Helton. Lather him up. Yeah. Get him into a lather for, for moving forward into Washington State. And then, obviously. Big horse. Big horse. <laughs> The big horse that is Utah on the schedule. So I think we'll see a little bit more of him uh, next week. But he did get some touches. They just didn't look effective. Yeah, it wasn't. That was weird, too. Yeah, I mean. They look forced. Yeah, it felt like you just needed someone that's a little bit more north-south. I mean, Relique is very, obviously, a talented running back. But is a little bit more east-west. And they just, like that, that was kind of one of the other things is, like, with all the, the – blitzing DBs and everything like that, you just felt like a screen would work perfectly or a little dump-off would work, and that just stuff just wasn't working. Caleb and uh, the guys The just timing the was way page. off for yeah. that stuff. But like, he almost broke one, though. There was he, that one yeah. play where he got – I think he was just coming off the, the tackle, and he got tripped up at the last second. But if he if he got through that, I think he was gone. I think he was going to hit the end zone. Nice. It's going to be what, a diving play, at, at, but he's got the speed to make it there. So we might be talking about Relic Brown, big touchdown in that game. So just – just those little things, and he was just a little bit uh, – just got tripped up at the end there, but he was really upset about it. I watched it. He was, like, slamming the ground. You know, he was like, I had it. He had it. So this close. Maybe that's what the hourglass was for. Another question uh, on YouTube coming from Greg. He says, late in the fourth quarter, Lincoln Riley looked to be encouraging Caleb Williams, but Caleb's body language appeared pretty dejected. Do you guys notice anything about Caleb Williams' sideline demeanor during the game? Uh, I don't know if you he, saw He didn't seem – I saw him after one, early in the early in the uh, first half after a couple of bad drives. I think it was one really disastrous drive after he had that rollout where he just hit the guy in the legs on a third down or something like that. And I was he was kind of by himself. He's kind of looking up at the screen. It it just seemed like he was kind of kind of thinking to himself while trying to distract himself because he was watching the uh, what's that thing where they throw the the tub. You know the Dr Pepper thing where they throw the oh yeah the it's like yeah toss, the, the, the the tuition challenge yeah it was like something like that he was just kind of watching it I think he was just trying to like get himself out was of it getting first. tips from like the, how to throw he the was like mimicking the throws I thought that was interesting. he was like he was like intently watching it so he was kind of by himself I think he was just kind of like trying to get himself right I didn't see any like super dejectedness on the sideline from him but you know you always need encouragement when you're having a rough game so and they yeah. have that kind of connection and shotgun mentioned or maybe it was you or maybe it was shotgun but how they were kind of on the same level yeah like Lick and Roth was talking to him and uh it was, it was he said a lot of times when they're talking they're kind of at the same level but he felt like Caleb was sitting down and it was more of like a mentor mentee kind of conversation like talking so, over you like yeah just sort of like you know but yeah I think Lincoln Roth I mean the good thing is like they're you know they have a good they have a good relationship they weren't able to fix it like during the game we'll see what they do now but like Chris mentioned a couple times you don't have to have a great game this week against Arizona State. I mean, anyone can get you, but Arizona State's a, a reeling program right now. Um, they weren't very competitive. I think they had six rushing yards against 
It's great. Uh, Utah. So it's impressive. That's it, impressive. That they got six, all six yeah, rushing yeah, yards. Yeah, <laughs> impressive to only get six rushing yards. <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I think another thing we have to mention too is like USC has already matched their win total from last season. This is the first time since I RJ tweeted out it was either 2010, I think, that they finished September four and zero. This is a big step for for the USC football program. Of course, it wasn't a perfect game, but we said the whole time weird things happened in Corvallis, weird things did happen in Corvallis, and yet USC still ended up with a win. So, like, there are minor critiques that we can have, but I think Lincoln Riley, he said this is he's very proud of the performance. Conference road wins are never easy. You see a lot of teams around college football, even at home, losing teams they shouldn't lose to. Um, so I, I think that the, the team is definitely happy with the performance. But we've got a couple more questions. This one comes from Trunks on YouTube. Why didn't Corey Foreman play? I'm, I'll handle it. Okay. I'll handle it because I know we're going to get a ton of these questions throughout the week. Yes. On Parastel Podcasts and a bunch of stuff, preview show. Corey, to my knowledge, is not hurt. He did not play in the game. He did suit up. He did dress, but did not get any reps. To my knowledge, he's not hurt. Looked like he was uh, a participant in Wednesday's practice, you know, doing individual drills and stuff. We can't comment on injuries, but he looked fine. So I can say that. He looked, he was participating in drills. So we saw his parents before the game. We saw his parents there at the game, uh, at the tailgate. They had some we good bling. Their jerseys were good bling. Zero jerseys were nice Great bling jerseys. On. So. You can interpret that how you want to. He's not hurt. It does does not look like he's hurt. And the staff has said, what you do, what getting opportunity on Saturday depends on what you do in practice. So in, interpret that as you wish. But right now, it's the best guys playing, and they're keeping it with fifty one. Yeah, Solomon Bird getting the reps, all the reps. Which I, I thought it was was pretty funny too because on Thursday when when uh, f- of course we haven't even mentioned like Romello Height out for the season but he said he's feeling fine about the group obviously Bird's emergence and Corey Foreman's improvement make him you know feel a little bit more secure at that position and so I, I came out of that thinking that he was higher on Corey Foreman than I think we've heard him previously now that he hasn't been high on him but just having a little bit more confidence than we had previously heard and then. I just feel like I didn't see him at all. Like, yeah. was it was it actually zero snaps? Get any snaps? I think it was zero as, snaps. As, yeah. as far as wow. what Shotgun said, and people, please stop sending me questions. What what's 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 going on with Corey Foreman? Corey with a C. Stop that. <laughs> I will not respond to you. It's a K. They're like Chris with a K. What's yeah. wrong with Corey, Corey with, with a, a C. C? Oh, I like that. If you do that, he'll respond. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Another question on YouTube. This one's from Steve. He says, clearly this wasn't the, a perfect game, but what do you think is the biggest area for improvement, especially going into the ASU game? Overall? Yeah. I mean, we've seen good and bad from pretty much all the units, right? So I don't know. I mean, I think consistency can be good. Um, this is the clunkiest, like you mentioned, we ever saw the offense. I think... Getting the offense back on track, I think that fixes a lot. You know, relying on defense to win games, like things could just go wrong. If you're scoring, if you score touchdowns in your first three drives, you're probably not losing the game. You know, so if you get the offense clicking again, um, you know, I think it helps everything. So I, I would say just getting the offense in sync. It was not flowing. It is. It just looked rushed. Get that tempo back. Sometimes your golf swing is all jacked up. Your tempo's bad. Like. When you get the, the nice smooth tempo, boom, then you just you don't have to try to kill it and you're gonna hit the ball far. I feel the same thing. They were kind of rushing things. Get that tempo going again. Just look like you're you know, it's an effortless thing, and the offense will flow and you'll score a bunch of points. I would say getting the quarterback down. 
just more consistency consistency in getting those sack plays. Yeah, didn't, I definitely agree. Definitely didn't get enough. They had some pressure, but they didn't have enough where it was like almost bringing down uh, Nolan. You right, want, yeah. You wanted to see that clutch kind of come through like we like you saw against Fresno State or a couple times uh, earlier in the season, but just getting to the quarterback uh, consistently and, and getting him down on the ground, getting those sack plays because those are huge plays for the defense, and I think that's the next step for this defense is to get some sacks on top of all the take-o- takeaways they're getting. And USC hasn't faced a, a big running quarterback yet. I mean, Chance Nolan had that one rush uh, on a third down, but it, you know, it feels like that if you're not able to bring down a quarterback um, and, and sack him, you might end up like OSU ended up against Caleb Williams, where you're missing him. He's able to scramble or he's able to get out on the run and make and make a pass. So I, I might be a, a tiny bit worried if I'm an SC defense the first time you go and see a big running quarterback, which I'm not sure who, the, who one would be on the schedule at the, at the moment. But it's definitely something that you would want to look out for. Ryan, there's a specific question for you. Says, okay. please don't push this to the side. The special teams is very weak, in your opinion. Uh, why has USC been so weak with special teams going back multiple seasons? Uh, I wouldn't say that they were weak in this game. Um, so the return game was bad. USC has not returned the ball well. I don't know why they're not just taking the fair catches because they've done. They've been way better off. I don't remember. I think I was talking to like Adam Grossbart from the OC Register in the press box. I'm like, have they had our kickoff return that went out? Be- Beyond the 25, like, have they had a, like, a, I don't think they had a great I one. So. I don't think they've got one, but they've had plenty that were stopped before the 25. So you'd be better off just taking a knee or, you know, fair catching. Uh, but I thought their coverage in this game, which could have been a problem. Oregon State did a good job. They had some good kick, kick returns before. Their coverage was pretty good. Um, the first, you know, Dennis Lynch field goal that was actually, like, needed when the gate that took, you know, it was 0-0. He missed that first one, but that was his first like pressure field goal when there was like to take the lead, you know. Uh, but he hit his one later when you really needed it, and that was one that you you know it was in. You felt like Lincoln Riley might have went for it. And he he put you know Lynch back out there and he hits the field goal. They did kick a ball, you know. I don't know what happened to Stathouse, but Lynch came in for one of the kickoffs and kicked the ball out of bounds. Uh, but there, you know, Sleep Dalton, you know, has been. We haven't seen a whole lot of punts. Um, you know, he had a couple good punts in this one, and the, you know the one that he was backed up in his own end zone, he got rid of it. Uh, but I thought they, you know, those were those were pressure punts. Like those weren't. You're at the fifty. There's no problem. You know, he he hit some decent punts in this game. Now he's not. He doesn't have the booming leg. Like they don't have a huge flip the field punter. But I thought his punts were effective. So I think, and you know, for the most part, there was some good effective special teams play with some bad stuff mixed in there. But it could have been a lot worse. I mean, it could have been some big kickoff returns and things like that. But I, the return game they got to fix. Shotgun says you just got to open up a hole and run through it. But if it's not working, just just take the ball at the twenty-five. Like the offense is good enough, you don't need to put them at the fifteen and give them, you know, more more, uh, you know, make it more difficult on them, especially on a night when you were struggling on offense. Do you think they should spend sixty percent of their practices on special teams? Because if you're going to be worse on special teams, plus spend sixty percent of your practice and five or six scholarship players from special teams, now this is like you know you got two scholarship guys on special teams. We don't know how much they practice. I don't think they practice it that much. They don't have a special teams coordinator. So if, you're, if your special teams are sort of mediocre, it kind of makes sense. But they're not putting the investment that USC was doing before for the and the special results. teams for worse results. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like there was the I think there was the the specific one where Brendan Rice took it out, and I was questioning the takeout decision, and then yeah. I think also like questioning why Gary Bryant or not, uh, why Brendan Rice is on the kickoff return team. Like they, the USC has a lot of electric players on offense. I, I 
say Brendan Rice is a good receiver. I'm not sure he's an electric kick returner. And of course, Gary Bryant most likely transferring out and redshirting this season. There's a void there, but I was just maybe a little confused about some of the personnel decisions. Shotgun did talk about this on the roadcast in that Brendan Rice is was a really good kick returner at Colorado. Colorado and Shaka was talking about how on kickoff return, you don't want guys that dance because mm-hmm. you got 11 guys coming at you full full speed. You want a guy who can get top end speed and break a tackle, which sounds perfect for a guy like Brendan Rice, who's a big body receiver and who you know was running four or five in high school. So mm-hmm. those are kind of the things that you want in a kickoff returner, a guy who can break a tackle, hit the hole, and get and build up speed, which is you know kind of a bigger receiver. But if there's not much of a hole. Yeah, you're not getting much of a hole. It didn't to seem of... to be hitting it. It just doesn't. It doesn't look like it's going to work. Yeah, I just felt like they were pressing for a play. Like, oh, yeah, we, if we can get a 40-yard kick, okay, we're in it. And Oregon State had the worst kickoff return coverage uh, unit in the Pac-12, so I think there was an opportunity but to get did. a big play. But USC's uh, kickoff uh, return unit wasn't, or coverage unit wasn't. Up to up to that challenge to to get a hole going. I don't remember who I asked. It might have been Sean Snyder. It, it could have even been John Baxter back in the day. But when you weren't getting, if you're you know time after time, if you're returning a kick and you're not getting to the twenty five, you know I would look at it as that's a net negative. And I think some of the special teams coaches look at it as yeah. So but so if you start at the twenty five or the twenty, they're saying that's just not that big of a deal. But if you return, you know, three kicks and you only get to the 20, but that fourth one you return for a touchdown, that's well worth having three drives start five yards further back, you know. Um, so that's, I think that's sort of their mindset. But we haven't seen any kicks that have gone anywhere. So if you can't, like, you're showing that you can't break one, you might as well just take it at the 25. Yeah, I definitely agree. Another thing that, that we haven't really touched on that – I, I think is definitely a positive for the Trojans in this matchup is they didn't have a lot of penalties. It comes to my mind because we're talking about special teams and there was the 15-yard penalty on the last kickoff that USC had before that, the potential game-winning drive from Oregon State. But there weren't a lot of penalties for the Trojans in the game. I think the, the DBs were really great at not being handsy, not a lot of holding on the offensive line. Uh, of course, they had to avoid a lot of delay games with the timeouts, which w- was a problem early on but got patched up a little bit. But uh, again, I think it's another game this season where USC stayed out of the, the big penalty yardage game, and I thought that was another positive sign. Yeah, we, we talked about this on the roadcast too. There was sort of like this was a game that Russ were kind of letting them play. There might have been some some holds in there. There might have been some more PIs, but uh, they weren't calling as much, which is good. I think that you'd rather see that, you know? Yeah, I don't feel like the refs made it their game. Mm-hmm. Right. They didn't turn it into their showcase. Weird. Outside of maybe that that uh, roughing, what uh, unnecessary roughness at the end, mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley irate at that call. He was not happy with that one. No. Screaming, he can't hear because that's how loud it was. He yeah. hear the whistle. So he had a point. Uh, but you already had the tackle. It didn't need to slam him a little bit. Yeah. But I, I would have let it go. I would let it go. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got one more question that I think is an interesting one. Is, uh, this oh, no. is from Jedi Tricks on YouTube. I know the season is still young, but would you say USC versus Washington in the Pac-12 championship? Washington looks really good. Um, you know, USC's got to go through Utah. I think you know Utah's playing, not playing Washington. They're playing Oregon. Um, you know, Washington's playing UCLA coming up. So there's some bigger games. 
Uh, so we'll see. But I, I think USC is definitely on track to make the championship game. Oregon State, I mean, I talked to some Oregon State people that thought they could potentially be back too. I think that's a legit team. And I think at the end of the day, you're going to look at this as a, you know, like Jack was saying, like this is a legit win. It's not an easy place to play. USC is now number six in the country. Like that's uh, pretty good. You know, when you talk about the AP poll and stuff, um, poised for, you know, making a run. Like you, you want to go I and mean, you're going to go from four and eight to like, you know, fighting for the Pac-12 championship. I think that's a big improvement. So yeah, I think uh, it's, it's positive, right? Now. Just remember off the Oregon state loss that next morning to now the next morning after an Oregon state win, USC is number six in the country. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, just, and it's going to be one of those things where with it, look back at people winning the championship. There's going to be a clunker. I'm not saying USC is winning the championship, by the way, but if they're going on the Pac-12 championship, there'll be a clunker or two where you just like, I can't believe Alabama pulled that out. Or I can't believe, you know, Ohio State had those like when they would go on their runs. Like there'd be these games in the middle of the season that you're just like, wow, they could have easily should have lost that game. And you could say USC should have, but they didn't. And that's sort of like next week you just paced Arizona State. <laughs> And nobody remembers that you had played a tough, you know, game against Oregon State the week before. Yeah, I mean, look around college football. Like teams are not supposed to win every game. Um, you look at even this past week. There's still just a ton of upsets every single week. No good team plays a, a you know a perfect slate where they are never challenged in a game. Uh, I mean, Chris Maryland uh, put on a show against Michigan. Looked like they could have uh, potentially not, pulled off an upset. Michigan's not number four team in the country. Let's be real, but. Well, I, fine. Then we'll go to the Clem we'll go to the number five team. Clemson just eked it out over Wake Forest. Like these are these, these are games that in college football happen every season. Yeah, and and I think USC is a good football team. They they are much better coached. They have better players. From last year to this year, it is like night and day. But they're a flawed team too. And you're going to have some crap games. Like you're just going to happen. And if you play crap against Arizona State, you'll probably win and just look bad. You played kind of crap against Oregon State, and you could easily lose, and they didn't. And I think that's a positive that you come away with the win. So this is still – if you want to compare this team to Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State, like, you shouldn't do that. But when people are like, they're not a playoff team, like, they're not a playoff team like an Alabama or Georgia or, or Ohio State, but they could literally be a playoff team because they can be better than all those other teams. That The Clemsons are flawed. The Michigans are flawed. Like, who else is really good? Um you know, maybe Washington's that team. Like they've, you know, they've turned things around. They got an explosive offense, but they're going to have Michael Penix is going to have a game like Caleb Williams had too. You know, like they could, they could lose to Stanford. They're not going to lose Stanford. They beat Stanford. They could lose to you know an Oregon or Washington, Washington State. State or any. You know, they could easily lose those games. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. don't be too critical of this team. Don't think that they're you know this isn't a Pete Carroll team that they've been built for years. This was built in like nine months, and it's it's pretty darn good and. uh if you're a USC fan, you're hoping it's going to get better every year. But for the, for a one-year turnaround, the fact that you're talking already number six in the country, you know, a couple good wins, like this is a it's a it's a big deal for me. Some duct tape on it. There's yeah, some, there's some like, off-brand parts because you had to scramble for it, but it will get better. It's like Mad Max. You get this, you know, like this. You put this. <laughs> it's uh, rolling. Yeah, it's, it's rolling. Getting where you need to go. It's, yeah, it's going. got plenty it's, of gas. Yeah. You're like, you know, it's spikes all over the place. You know, it's like it's pretty good. Like, wow, that thing's that thing's pretty Not badass bad for nine months. Yeah, Not is it bad. is it gonna like pass smog inspection? No, but you know, hey, it's, it's gonna, not like, Alabama's <laughs> little sports car thing going on. But right. they're both cars. They'll move, baby. Yeah, they'll move. 
<laughs> and I think, I mean, for Trojan fans specifically, I think it's easy to get caught up in the first three games and you're like, okay, this, you know, oh, well, they could go perfect. They haven't lost games so far this season. But I think that just remember where, and even you guys covering the team a year ago, four wins all season. Here we are sitting and some of the last days of September already four wins. Yeah, it's, uh, you've, if you lose the rest of your games, you're still tied what you did last year. So <laughs> that's the worst you could do. It was a funny one. Um, when uh, Chip Kelly and uh, it was last year, and I, you know, I do the podcast of champions with David Woods, and um, you know Clay Helton was under fire. Chip Kelly was sort of, but you know it was ever he ends up getting his extension. They were trying to figure all that stuff out, and I think the stat was this was like early last year that Chip Kelly would have to win his next like 36 games to have the same record that Clay Helton had. Like he'd have to win 36 games in a row, which was kind of crazy. So you're thinking of like USC just wants to fire Clay Helton, but but. What Chip Kelly needed, Chip Kelly would have to like win three championships to tie like Clay Helton's record. It's pretty funny. All right, is there anything else left that you guys want to touch on before we wrap it up? I'm have good. fun, enjoy the game, <laughs> enjoy this team, enjoy what's going on because it's so much different than last year. It's not perfect. You can complain about this, Caleb Williams, that the defense, whatever. Go have fun. Go to the Coliseum, tailgate. Watch USC beat the living crap out of Arizona State. Have some fun with it, you know. Uh, tell your friends about it. <laughs> this is good. Like, this is what you want, you know. Will Will you be able? You want to debate like playoff? You want to debate like can they win a championship? Like, do that in year two or three. Right now, I would just say enjoy the ride. Have a good time. Whatever happens, happens in year one. Yeah. yeah, and we don't know what's going to happen. So, Jack said they've already they've already won four games. The rest is gravy. And so yeah, just and, have fun with it. And you didn't hire Lincoln Riley for the first year. He very they very clearly want him to come in and build a program. And of course, USC fans hope he's here for a long time. But uh, again, it is the first year. I definitely echo what you're saying. Make sure you're heading out to the Coliseum. I think students specifically head out to the Coliseum. We're going to be back with a preview show on Thursday about the game. But I think as Brian and kind of hinted at. This one is not going to be the same story as the last four weeks. We're like, this is USC's hardest team they've played so far this year. This might be the second worst team that they'll play all year, and, and that's only because they played Rice. But uh, anyways, that's, that's what we've Colorado? got. Oh, that's true. I, I, always forget about, coming up. I always forget that Colorado is just terrible this year. Just, Rice might be better than Arizona State, aren't they? Rice aren't they? beat, Rice beat I think, what, no, Rice beat Louisiana, who ended up beating. I don't know. There was like a transitive property. Rice isn't on. terrible. Well, then, then, then there we go. Colorado's the worst team. Arizona State's could be the second you're, worst. You're, you're and right. Rice is was, the third. There you go. You were correct. Yeah. Well, it was correct. Anyways, that's all we've got for you guys today. Uh, make sure you guys are leaving a like uh, and following whatever platform you're on. Thank you guys for the comments throughout. Uh, and we'll have live callers hopefully next week. The technical difficulties got in the way of that this time. All of our Twitters are on the screen. You can follow. Make sure you're going to uscfootball.com, subscribing, being a member on the site, subscribing here on YouTube, tons of different content. Uh, but anyways, we'll be back here on Thursday to do the preview show for the Arizona State game. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you on Thursday. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.